Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Thank you very much. If you would remain standing for a moment, I'd like to read from the book of Genesis, chapter 35. Sometimes you go to church and you kind of can predict whatever's going to happen. You, you, you know how the service is going to go and because you've been through enough of them and you know how many songs, it's just which songs is the only thing you don't know. And if you come a little early and listen to them practice, you can even know that. It's predictable. But God is not predictable. And sometimes he designs a service with specificity. In other words, he is specific. I have, I have felt very strongly that today God is specific. If you are a guest here and you find perhaps this service or whatever has happened thus far to be a little different than what you're accustomed to. This is a Bible church. And there's a difference in just any church and a Bible church. Churches that are really, truly Bible churches adhere to this book. It's all we have. A a true Christian doesn't have anything else. This book If you get outside this book, then you're kind of leaning on your own resources. And I don't want to use my own resources to try to accomplish the will of God. So all we have is this book. And that's that's what I want to allude to today. So in the book of Genesis, chapter number 35, and verse number 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. And dwell there. Bethel meant house of God. And dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, to the house of God, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree That was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. 
because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And you can be seated. Thank you very much. I want to give you a thought before we get into this or before I get into it to remember for a few moments that I'll get to it in a few minutes. And it's this. Noah built the ark, but only God could shut the door. Noah built the ark, but only God can close the door. We are, one of my favorite sayings, we are living in the best and the worst of times. Anyone that's in my age group has seen America in her heyday. We, we've seen all of the innovative moves that have been made in the last 50 or 60 years. And so we've seen the glory days. And now, of late, we've had the opportunity to see her at her worst. And then in the midst of her worst, we've seen a resurrection. And in that resurrection, the church is benefiting from what's happening. And all of the problems that America's going through right now, the greatest beneficiary has been the church of Jesus Christ. Don't you find it strange that in the midst of all the debate, all of the arguments, all of the troubles that we're going through and riots in the streets and, and in some cities you can't even go there no more and San Diego and Los Angeles and San Francisco are having outbreaks of hepatitis because of, of the homeless population, the largest in the entire United States. And if you've been there, and I was there lately, and you walk down the streets, there will be piles, some of them nearly as high as this podium. There will be piles of, of needles that have been distributed to these people for drug use or whatever it is. And when they're done with them, they just pile the needles up. And if not, they throw them on the ground. In the same way with, with their health, their sanitary actions, it's just open. You, they do it on the streets. They do it in broad daylight. And then this too will be swept into piles and people in hazmat suits will come by and clean all this up. It's millions of dollars to pay these people to clean up. And you look at that and you think, this, this cannot be happening in America. And that's what we think because we're Americans and we think that we're exempt from everything that happens in, in third world countries. And well, that couldn't happen here. This is America. But it is happening here. And then these protests and riots and people fighting and, and there's hatred. Have you ever seen so much hatred and animosity? And in the midst of all of that, the church, the church is prospering. The church of Jesus Christ. We have more religious liberty than we've had in my lifetime. And I have lived under 11 presidents. Never have I seen such liberty for us to do what we choose with, without fear of retribution. Don't, don't you find that striking? That, that we can do that? I mean, we can get up and say anything we want to. Preach anywhere we want to. Use a platform. Why? Because God has given us favor. He's given us favor with those that have the power to make decisions that affect everything we do in this country. We have found favor. And actually under the days of Nebuchadnezzar, when he came to take over 
and take Israel into captivity. This is another amazing story of how that, that God speaks to Ezra and Jeremiah has prophesied from here to there, from stem to stern, coast to coast. That's all he's done is dedicated his life to prophecy, telling the people of God, get ready, you're going into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar's coming. He's going to take everything you own. You're going to lose your businesses. You're going to lose your homes. And many of you are going to be killed. That's the prophecy of Jeremiah. And his life was dedicated to that sort of thing. He was what people called a doomsday prophet. And yet he wouldn't give any ground. They beat him. They put him in prison. They did everything but short of killing him to silence him, but they could not. He continued his narrative. That is, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, and you must follow Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that something? The man of God is telling them to follow the most evil, corrupt, wicked ruler in the history of mankind. Follow him and even use the word defect. Defect from what you're doing here and follow Nebuchadnezzar. Why? God speaks to Ezra in the ninth chapter. And he says of Ezra, and he says, because I'm going to give you favor with the kings of Persia. And when you get over there into captivity, I'm going to smile on you and you're going to prosper. Does it not strike you strange that under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, a great man of God, was elevated to number two in power in the entire world. That the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were made governors over the provinces of these wicked kings and rulers and God's people were sustained. But God said, if you don't follow Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't listen to what Nebuchadnezzar tells you, I will hunt you down in Egypt. I will hunt you down in the wilderness and I will kill you myself. I'll kill you with disease. I'll kill you with the sword. I'll do whatever I have to do. Why? I want you to do my will. Ladies and gentlemen, God's not interested in you questioning his will. He's interested in you doing his will. And to obey is better than sacrifice. We are in a place right now that God wants us to do the will of God and to pursue the will of God and give it everything we've got to not worry about what's happening around us. We're in a protection mode. God's hand is on us. And then we've had three years of freedom that was the following of eight years of terror. Our economy sunk to all-time lows. There were more church foreclosures during that period than there had been in the entire history of the United States. It was not a good time, regardless of what people may say. And all of you that are working people know that's the truth. But somehow, in this last three years, with a maniac at the helm, we have prospered. God has smiled on us. Some of the pundits and some of the evangelical preachers that preach for a living on television and YouTube and places like that, they're preaching for offerings. I'm preaching for truth. I'm preaching for results. I'm preaching for revival. I'm preaching for the gifts of the Spirit. I'm preaching for the fruit of the Spirit. I'm preaching for God to change your life. I'm preaching for God to give you direction and save your children and put a song in your heart and a dance in your step. I don't care about the money. These guys got on there and started putting together, well, it's the Cyrus effect. Don't fall for any of those gimmicks. 
It's the Cyrus effect. And they'd made that into a doctrine. And you have people prophesying and saying, oh, God showed me this about Cyrus and God showed me this about Artaxerxes and so on and so Ladies and gentlemen, don't fall for any of those gimmicks. God does what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and where he wants to do it. He is sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. There is none like him in all the earth. And he has found a dwelling place in this building in you. You need not fear the world. Fear not for I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are mine. You're the apple of my eye. No man, no weapon formed against you will prosper. We don't have to fear anything. We've wasted three years arguing. Bickering. Vying for position. Thank you. I like that better than amen. You're still around. Good. (laughs) Volleying for position. Arguing amongst one another. Churches across the nation. All of them. Over 300,000 congregations in America. 300,000. Up until from a period there in about five years, it shrunk by 34,000 congregations. Closed down. That's what I say, ouch. Mm -hmm. Shrunk 34,000 congregations, shut their doors, backed away from God. Now we have over 300,000 congregations. All of them say they believe in the same Jesus Christ and all of them dislike each other. What is wrong with that picture? How can two walk together except they agree? Anytime you have division, you'll have confusion because confusion causes division. But when you come together, when you join yourselves together, a twofold card, a twofold card, a twofold card, two are better than one, and a threefold card is not easily broken. We must not be fools in this time of trouble. We must come together and say, God, we refuse to allow the devil to disband us. We refuse to be, a, be, a, be an instrument in the hand of Satan. We're going to be an instrument in the hand of God. I'm going to put aside my own selfish will and desire. And I'm going to seek the will of God. And I'm going to pursue righteousness. This group over here, they're watching you. This is your tomorrow. Right here. You know what they're going to be? Whatever you are right now. So today, with specificity, you didn't know I knew those big words. You have to make a decision today that you're going to do the will of God. Nothing else matters. This is not about Russ Cordell. It's not about Mike Meyer. This is about the will of God. Not every man that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. We follow the guidelines. We follow the book. What does the book say? Well, yeah, I know, but this is, no, there is no yes, but now. This is what we do. We do the will of God. We do nothing else but the will of God. And anything short of that is unbelief. Jacob said, bring your foreign gods. We're about to make a trip. Where are we going? We're going back to Bethel. I've been there before. I had a dream. 
I saw angels going up and down ladders and coming out of heaven. He remembered that dream. Man, he remembered that. And he says, now God's told me to go back. Why? Because I want to get you back there where I can talk to you and change you. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to do things for you you never imagined. But you got to stay in my will. And he said, so the first thing I want you to do is bring those foreign gods. Everybody that claims to be a Christian ought to read the book of Colossians today. Read it carefully. Because in the book of Colossians chapter 2 and 3, it talks about idolatry. And when you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is pursuing your own desires. That's what idolatry is. You get all the stuff and that becomes your idols. Oh boy, that could never happen to me. I've heard that before. So that old saying, been there and done that. Been there and done that. Yeah, well, I've been there and done that, and I'm not proud of that. We think of, when we talk about idolatry, we have been seasoned in this, in this country. In America, we've been prepared so that we look at idolatry and we can judge everybody else in the world. Say, oh, Buddha, Hindu, Hindu. They, they, these people, that's idolatry. Oh, man, that's idolatry. Them people, you know how many Hindu gods there are? Do you know how many Hindu gods there are? Huh? I gave you, just take a wild guess. You're doing good, Rob? You're looking well. There's 33 million. 33 million Hindu gods. How do you know which one to pray to? I mean, that would be confusing. You can't even name all the names. We say, well, that's idolatry. I'll tell you what idolatry is. Idolatry is sitting on everything that you should be given to God. Idolatry is doing it your way instead of God's way. Idolatry is seeking only yourself, doing what you want to do and enjoying the good life. I'm going to tell you, we better put that idea behind us and say, God, we're getting ready for something. We've got it somehow, somehow through books like, like you know, Tim LaHaye wrote and said, left behind. You better put that stuff aside. There ain't going to be no meetings at Starbucks where you decide to do what's after the rapture. Well, we'll make a plan. We're sitting around having coffee and discussing. No, no, no. It don't work quite like that. We're, we're headed down a road that, that we can't imagine. This is not going to last forever. God is going to come back. And when he comes, he's coming back for a church that has made itself ready. It has prepared itself. You must prepare yourself. You must work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. She can't do it for you. You have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to set your house in order. You've got to get ready to go. This is going to end. It's not going to last. Don't confuse what you read in the book of Revelation where the vials and all these horrible things are poured out. And people say, oh, we won't be here for that. The wrath of God, that's the wrath of God. Did you know you are correct? We won't be here for that, for those specific things that it names, because that's the wrath of God. But we will be here for persecution. Ha! You shouldn't say that. What Bible verse do you use for that? Two Bible verses. One says that, that God has not prepared us for his wrath. That all of those things, his wrath is not for the church of God. 
But he also says, all, all, if it's all, what's left? What's left of all? If it's all, what's left? Nothing. So all that will live godly will suffer persecution. That's what the Bible says. Chloe's growing up. My goodness. She got beautiful. What can I say? It wouldn't come from you. <laughs> All that will live godly will suffer persecution. And you see, you say, yeah, but those horrible things. Go back and look in the book of Acts. And what happened to those Christians? Look throughout all the dark ages. What happened to those Christians? And look what's happening in countries around the world. And now they're even talking about bringing that sort of thing to, to America. People being killed, tortured. I got her on a roll this morning, I'm telling you. I'm doing good, aren't I? Yeah, you like that, don't you? <laughs> Give me five. Thank you. Folks. As much as we like to think that everything's going to continue it as it is, it's not. We have to be prepared. I cannot imagine. I can't imagine 10 years. And I'll try. I'm being honest. I cannot imagine 10 years. I could think five maybe. And if Jesus comes in five years, if Jesus comes this year, Ask yourself, are you prepared to meet him? Can you meet him right now? Look him in the face and say, God, I am ready to meet you. That's the question I want to ask you today. I said to you that Noah built the ark, but it was God that shut the door. Imagine not knowing about rain, not knowing of a flood having never seen one. And God says, build a boat. I don't know what a boat is. I'll give you the instructions. I mean, this is more complicated than what we give it credit for. I mean, there were no, what are we thinking? There were no old Milwaukee saws and all of that business. There was no electricity. He says, I want you to build this boat. And, you know, God should have been a little bit more definitive. He didn't tell him it was 900 foot long that it was the size of a cruise ship in Miami. He didn't tell him anything. He just said, build this boat and gave him all the specifications with which to build that boat. And Noah worked on it for 120 years. And for 120 years, he preached a message that God gave him that, that didn't pertain to anybody or nothing because nobody had ever heard that stuff. I preached at a, at a general conference one time for a, a, another organization. And I preached about Noah. And I said, you know, Noah could not preach in our churches today. He wouldn't be accepted, doesn't have the right amount of education. He didn't graduate from Purpose Institute. So we couldn't use him. He, he, he just, he, you know, he's got nothing going for him. I mean, what's your resume, Noah? Where have you ever worked? What, you know, what, come on, man. Give me a break. You got to know something. He said, Noah, but yet Noah found favor in God's eyes. How did he find it? It wasn't his education. It wasn't how much money he had. It had to be that Noah said, hey, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. That's how you find favor in the eyes of God. You're willing at any cost to do whatever is necessary. If you're not willing to do that, 
it's going to be complicated for you to find favor in the eyes of God. So God said, build the boat. And he worked for 120 years. And during that whole 120-year period, he kept telling all the people that listened to him that something bad is coming. And they were thinking, well, we've never seen it before. That won't happen here. Don't you love the term in America that we use? We like to do it. And we say, well, they'll get it together. They'll fix it. Who is they? I'd like for somebody. Man, I'm telling you, she's on a ray. I'm going to roll on I need to send her over to that Democratic National Convention. She can. <laughs> how, how can, how can, uh, these people had never heard nothing like that. He's preaching repentance. And these people are going on with their lives just like nothing ever happened. Just continue. Hey man, everything's cool. We're good. The mall's open. We got Everything. And Jesus comes along thousands of years later and says, as it was in the days of Noah, it'll be in this generation. You, you, you'll think that you're, that you're invulnerable, that, that you can't be touched, that you're somebody. You know who the guy, you know who the, the worst person off in the world is? The one that thinks he's arrived. Yeah. Oh, do you realize who I am? I mean, you know the Barney Fife sniff? You liked that, didn't you? That's cool. And we think we've arrived. And do you know that they continued with that attitude, that mindset, marrying, giving in marriage, celebrations, party, everything's cool, let's do what we want to do. Every man's doing what they think is right in their own eyes. Just keep going just like you're going. You don't have to listen to anybody. Why should you be under the authority of this nut that's down there putting whatever that is together? And they stayed that way until Noah went into the boat and God shut the door. And they were still carrying on when the first raindrop dropped on their head. And they thought, what is that? And Jesus said, it'll be the same way in the future generations. They will reach a point like they, he said in Colossians, your idols will not be the wooden ones carved with a man's hand. It's not going to be the tree from the forest where you make your own God. It's going to be the things in your heart. You're going to be an idolater in your heart. You're going to worship this world's goods. You're going to want this and that. And the stuff, you're going to be surrounded by the stuff. And I'm going to put so much stuff in your life, the devil says, that you will yield to that. And that will become your God. 50 pair of shoes in your closet, four cars in your garage, homes you don't need, money laying in the bank. I had a good friend, he, he, he built a business from the ground up. He, he didn't even have any education. I don't even know if he finished high school. He couldn't even hardly sign his name on a check, but he, he found out how to get wire up out of the ground and, and how to put wire into the ground for, these, for this fiber optics mess years ago. And he got in on the ground floor and formed a company and started removing all of that old cable for the phone companies all across the country. He made millions of dollars and we were close friends. He sold that company for millions of dollars and he had all this money and he picked me up one day. We went to lunch. He said, brother, you know what scares me? And I said, no, Freddie, what, what scares you? He said, I'm afraid I'm going to die 
with all this money laying in a bank when I should be putting it to use for the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit of God and I need to put this to work. We're not building kingdoms for us. This is not about us. I worked for a gentleman many years ago when I was in the insurance business and we'd have every, every Monday morning we'd have a rah-rah. You know, that's where they'd get in there and that's when you, you pump everybody up, you know. Pump them all up and everybody's like, boom, hoo, 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 and all that stuff, you know. I did it too. Hoo, hoo, hated it every moment. I didn't feel like, hoo, 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 hoo. We get either all of us pumped up. And I'll never forget that morning, that particular morning, that the district manager gave a speech. And he said in his speech, I own this. And he started naming his accomplishments and his successes. I've got this, and I've done this, and I've done that. And he said, I did it all. He said, that's what I've earned, and you can do the same thing. And in that meeting that morning, God made a change in my life. I was in the ministry. I had to work, though. And I sat there, and God spoke to me that morning and said, he made nothing. I could have let him be Helen Keller. I could have had him be blind and deaf. I could have delivered him from the womb of a Muslim woman in a cave in Afghanistan, but I did not in mercy. I let him be here, and I gave him the ability to make wealth, and he made it and misused it. You see, God does not care how much you have or how much you give. Do you believe that? He doesn't. Well, he wants me. No, he doesn't care how much you give. You decide how much you give. If you pay tithes and and you go by the 10%, then you owe that 10%. That's not a gift. You know, if if Mike Meyer can point him out, because I know him, if, if he and I are partners... And I say, Mike, let's, you know, you're smarter than I am. That's obvious. And you, you take 90%. I get 10%. And then he gets the checks and all that. And he gets the check. And he takes his 90% and then says, you know, I want to take Robin on a little trip. I'll, I got this money left over here, this 10%. He don't need it. I'll just take that 10% too. That's my money. You took, I took her on a trip, not you. That's how the tithe thing works. But did you know that in the book of Malachi, you can't separate tithes from offering? They said, wherein have we robbed you? He said, in tithes and in offerings. They're inseparable. And so bearing that, that equation in mind, I thought, God, nothing belongs to me. And God told me that morning, he said, this man did nothing. I allowed him to do everything he did. You know, I sometimes it's easy, especially if you're a go-getter, if you're a hustler, it's easy to think, well, look what I did. But what if circumstances were different and you were health-wise incapable of doing that? Now what? And you say, yeah, but... So everything you do, every success you have, you should say, God, thank you for allowing me to do that God because if you had not gave me the wherewithal if you hadn't given me the health I could not have done that do you see how that equation works 
Every one of you that are in this building today, this church, I want to wind this down. This church is a, this is a lighthouse. 42 years in the making. 42 years of one man, one woman. I remember years ago, I preached a, 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 an anniversary service here for the Kileys. And, you know, they were practically kids when they came over here. Seriously, they were kids when they came over here. But they were kids with a vision. They were kids that applied themselves to what they were doing and said, God, help us. If you don't have nobody, we'll go, we'll go. And they came not knowing what they were going to face. And I can't tell you all the stories of men and women that have said, God, send me, I'll go, and went without nothing. I'm one of them. First church I ever pastored, they said, don't go there. You're crazy. That's not a good church. They, they, they eat pastors for breakfast. That's what they told me. And I went and preached because you, you had to go what they call tryout, you know, and they had the election and all that business. And I said, no, I said, God spoke to me. I know I'm supposed to go to that church. The presbyter told me, he tried to talk me out of it. He said, man, you're making a mistake going here. He said, these people, well, they'll chew you up and spit you out. And I said, I'm going to go. I went over there. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't a big church. And, and there was people sitting there. The secretary of the church had been secretary 37 years. 37 years. And, and, and guarded that money whew, with a flaming sword around her house. And her and her husband. And they said, you have any questions? I said, I don't have no questions. Well, do you care about what the income is? I don't care what the income is. Do, do you care about the debt? I don't care about the debt. I don't care about the building. I don't care about nothing. I don't have nothing to say. They said, well, we'll we're going to have some more come in and then we'll, we'll vote on all of you. I said, exclude me. I don't want to be voted on. And they said, what do you mean you don't want to be voted on? I said, if you want to vote on all them other guys, put them all together, vote, pick out the one you want. And if somebody wins it, call me or don't call me. But if nobody wins it, then you call me and you can vote on me. Otherwise, you can vote on me by myself because it's the will of God or you can count me out. They said, then we're gonna vote on you. And they voted me in as pastor. And I went to a church that had never got off the ground and filled up the new building that we built and saw the presence of God and miracles and signs and wonders. If you're in the will of God, it doesn't matter what's in front of you. It matters who's in you. That's what matters. And if you're led by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're led by the Spirit, you will be led by God's Spirit where he wants you to go. And they that are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. What do you want to be? A son of man or a son of God? I want to be a son of God and the only way I can do that is to quit thinking of myself and my own selfish desires and put myself in the hands of God and say I'm ready to do whatever is necessary and I don't care what it costs me. You are in you're in a transition here. No you're not. Well, yeah, we already transitioned. The big guy's already here. So that transition's over. No, you're in transition. Because everybody has to be in sync. And once you all get in sync, then your transition is over. In sync, in sync, in sync. I remember them old timing lights now, you got to go back a ways. These kids nowadays don't know what timing lights are. You've seen a few of them, haven't you? Remember how you'd have to take that old thing off where the flywheel wasn't? They'd shine that light on. It has to hit a certain mark. That thing's spinning 60 million miles a minute. I mean, but that light can somehow find that groove, that little notch. 
And that car will not run until that, that notch and that light matched up. Am I correct? It's not going to work. That's the way the will of God is. It don't work on your terms. It works on his terms. It don't work because you said it should. It works because you've done the right thing. See, it's not important to be right. It's important to do right. And if you do the right thing, you'll find the will of God because you'll put the right thing in front of everything else. You can't find favor with God no other way. And so when Noah was in that ark and that thing just sat there, couldn't move, too heavy, and the rains came, and the rains came, and the rains came, and it don't give us no story what's going on on the outside, so I have to use my imagination. I don't think it was pleasant because there were no other boats of any kind, and there was no place to go. You couldn't climb a tree because the tree's going under, so you're stuck. And that ark did not move until the water was deep enough to float it, and then it began to float. Can you imagine what went through Noah's mind when that thing lifted off and started to move? And, you know, they're terrified. They had to be. When you're in that big old giant boat, you got every kind of animal and critter in the world in there with you, and you don't know where you're going or when you're going to stop, if the food supply is going to continue, if you're going to have clean water, you don't know anything other than I've heard from God. I'm in the will of God. And that's what I care about. It's important to be in the boat. It's important to be in the boat because there is no salvation outside the boat none Paul told them when they was in a shipwreck he said and they, were, they were panicking and Paul said wait a minute fellas unless you stay in this boat you're going to die but the boat's breaking apart it's falling to pieces stay in the boat man it's coming apart at the seams can't you see you crazy fool look at it it's breaking up he said stay in the boat except you abide in the boat you're not going to live and when it was over the boat had broke into many pieces but not one soul was lost not one soul was lost not one and stories were derived from that episode that we still preach about today there is nothing more important than the will of God. Nothing. And if you don't get that today, I'm going to tell you, you're on a slippery slope. This place was built by a man who had a vision. He's a good man. He has some odd ways sometimes. I've been with him a few times when I hate to use the term I hope you don't take it and holler that I'm a racist that I can remember being with Brother Kylie a few times and I wanted to jap slap him right there I never did understand what a jap slap meant I just knew that it was a serious punch and I wanted to throw one at him because he has his own ways but all of his ways in his mind and in his heart was I'm trying to accomplish the will of God and all of us, if you want to find fault with somebody, hey, 
leave these people alone in here, all of you. Just come with me. We'll sit down up here today and spend the rest of the afternoon, and I'll let you find all the faults you want in me because I got lots of it. I'll sell you some of it if you want it, and you can take it home and recreate it. But I don't think you want to do that. I want to tell you, the time has arrived that abundant life apostolic church needs to become the magnet of this entire county. Right here. Right here. It needs to become the magnet. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Who? You tell me who. I want the name. I want it today. If God be for you, who can be against you? No one. No weapon formed against you can prosper. You do the will of God. You are protected by the hand of God. He raises a shield that nothing can penetrate. When you do the will of God. We have to work today. You wonder why I'm here? I'm here by choice. I want you to consider Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. And Lot's dad died. And after he died, Abraham kind of took Lot under his wing. Lot, he didn't have no promises from God. But Abraham did. And through those promises, Abraham became very rich. Scripture says that. Very rich. And as a result of the richness and the wealth of Abraham, it spilled over onto Lot. Until the point that Lot had almost as much as Abraham. And he didn't do anything but walk in his uncle's shadow. And one day they just stop out in the wilderness. And Abraham turns to Lot and he says, Son, our herdsmen are bickering back and forth. And they're, they're going over our goods. Because you've got a lot of goods and I've got a lot of goods. And, and folks ain't getting along no more. Amazing how money can do that, isn't it? I know that's never happened here. But... This thing on. And Abraham turns to Lot and he says, You choose today which direction you want to go. If you go that way, I'll go this way. And if you want to go that way, then I'll go this way. Essence. He said, In other words, Abraham, now Abraham is the promised guy. This is all his. He says, You choose where you want to go, and whatever you leave, I'll take it. Is there anybody here today that's willing to take the leftovers? Because if I got the leftovers with God, I'm going to win. And Lot, being relatively carnal, as the rest of his life proved, never argued with his uncle. And instead of saying, Uncle Abe, you know, man, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't have all this stuff. And them well-watered plains down there. Oh, man, look at the vegetation. Look at that, the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's beautiful. There's a city down there. I mean, yeah, everything. Walmart's there. We've got everything. Nordstrom Rack, I can see it. We, we got it all. Every restaurant imaginable is over here. Without question, he said, I think I'll take this. Abraham said, okay. I love you, nephew. Good luck. See you later. Then he turns to this vast wasteland. And he looks at it. I, I, I know, you know, it doesn't say anything about it. I'm just thinking if it were me, I'd be thinking, what have I just talked myself into? 
What have I done? This is nothing. Huh? This looks like Los Angeles. Of course, God would have said, no, Lot chose Los Angeles. And God speaks to him and he says, as far as you can see. Now, when God said that, as far as you can see, wait a minute, he can see the well-watered plains. He said, that's all yours. I'm going to give you everything because you are a team player. Now, Abraham went on to flourish and grow and dig wells to even to this day, the wells that Abraham dug still exist. Isaac followed right along behind him and kept the pace, following the footsteps of his father. But Lot gets in a lot of trouble. Evil kings come and invade Sodom and Gomorrah and steal everybody there and steal all their goods and take Lot captive and all of his family and leave. And who goes and gets him? Was it the people of Sodom that rallied behind him? No, it was Abraham and 300 men from his own own family. He took them down there and went after, pursued all of those kings. There were five of them. He pursued all of those kings, snuck on them during the night, whipped every one of them and got back everything and then some and never lost a servant. It pays to serve God. And it pays to be in the boat. And it pays to be on the right side of things. And the right side is not Zelensky's side or Colonel's side or his side or her side. The right side is God's side. That's when I pick up this book and say, God, I'm going to follow the book. And if everybody else jumps off of a ledge or a bridge, I'll follow the book. So what do you want God to do today? What would you like to see here? Wouldn't you like to see every pew full so you could count the numbers and put up a board outside? No, no, no. So that you could hear stories about abundant life. Yes, changed my life. Oh, yes, it changed me. Oh, I was in the gutter when I found that church. I was in the gutter when so-and-so taught me a Bible study. But God took me out of all of that. James 3 says, If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. God, this is the day that you have made. See that picture? He's grown now. I still carry his picture. That's innocence. See that picture? Can you see that? He's not grown. I just took this. That's innocence. Jesus said, except you become like him, you can't get in. If you're not like him, you can't get in. It's time for a change. It's time for a rah-rah. 
God sent me here today to speak to you people. I asked to come. He indulged me. I asked to come because, and to the guests, I apologize if this is a bit awkward or different. I came because for 14 years I've been preaching in this church. And I know just nearly everybody in here. I watched some of these kids. I knew some of these kids when they were born here, when they were infants. I've sat in your homes. I've ridden in your cars. I've preached in your businesses with, with where we'd meet down by the fireplace and God would be there to bless us and talk to us. I've been in your business. I've been in your home. I came because I want this church to become what it was designed to be in the beginning. It has not died. We're just at a changing of the guard. God still has everything in the palm of his hand. Everything is in the palm of God's hand. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.